The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. I like doing that sometimes. Uh, Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, How goes it, John? It goes... It proceeds apace. Um... Yeah, I I mean, I know we kick this thing off quite a bit with talking about the weather, Mm -hmm. and that gets boring, and yet the weather is a constant, uh, it's a dance partner that often steps on my feet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it affects attitude, it affects, you know, how long rides can be, where rides can be, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about weather. And it, uh, the thing I the thing I have, and I just uh, my memory isn't good enough to know whether every winter is like this because my memory tells me that past winters were more consistent. Uh-huh. Like it snowed, and then there was snow on the ground until there wasn't snow on the ground. Whereas what we seem to have now is we have snow on the ground and everything's frozen. Now it's warm and raining, and everything is wet. Now it's dry, but tomorrow it's going to rain, and the and the the temperature is all over the map. And one of the things that I depend on for to be a consistent rider is a consistent set, like just some consistent scenario where you know yeah. the temperature and the conditions are a little bit settled, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they are just not. And I'm not complaining as much as I am reporting. Because, you know, it's all fine. Right. Because saying it's all fine is the only reasonable response to something that we have zero control over. Zero control. Yes. Yes. Zero control. Uh, And, you know, the truth is I have a lot of the gear that lets me pivot and do the various things. It's just a little tiring to keep up with, like, what what? Are we on studded tires today? No, we're back on. We're just back on rubber. Uh, it's it's all over the map. All over the map. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. When I first moved to New England back in 1989, one of my roommates, I'll say, she taught me. She informed me <clears throat> that uh, you know it gets cold, then it gets frozen, then the flo- uh then the snow starts flying. And then sometime between mid and late January, there was always the the January thaw, the midwinter thaw. And that would ruin all the snow and make everything icy. And then it would start snowing again and you'd have more enjoyable winter, at least until March. And then spring would begin. She didn't explain to me that spring in New England is generally 45 degrees in rain. Um, I don't, yeah, I, uh, the rain part is variable, but usually by 
the middle of March, if it's 45, people are out in shorts and T-shirts because they are acclimated to something much colder. You know, like the same weather in October would have them in down jackets. But by, you know, so there's it's very highly variable. And our response to it is also highly variable. Yes. Um, February is typically now the snowiest month. So we'll see what happens. Mm. But. Yeah, I in my pre in my pre skiing days, I always thought if I could make it to March 1st with my sanity, I'd be all right. Uh huh. Uh, Now that I'm a skier, quote unquote, uh, I'm somewhat ambivalent about the the coming of spring, which is a good place to be in because I and and the snow line for us is usually now is often somewhere north of boston but south of where i ski so it can be i can be riding when when you know during the week or i can be riding and then skiing and then riding and skiing which is i mean that's a pretty awesome winter a pretty good way to live yeah yeah um alrighty. well anywho yes yeah leave us out oh so this this week uh i want to make a confession and maybe pose a challenge to both myself and our listeners. Okay. The confession is that last week I became a member of NEMBA, the oh. New England Mountain Bike Association. Yeah. That's right. I wasn't a member before. Despite being a frequent and ardent trail user, despite advocating repeatedly for people to join their local advocacy groups, I didn't belong to this one. Mm-hmm. The one that most directly benefits my own riding i've belonged to mass bike uh-huh. uh i think i started that when your friend and and your friend richard freeze was the, uh, the director i've belonged to other national groups but i've never had a nemba membership before so mm. i put that right finally uh and and NEMBA and most regional mountain bike associations, they really do incredible, tangible, observable work that we see and mm-hmm. feel all the time. <laughs> How many times have I been over a wooden bridge or some other critical piece of trail infrastructure here and seen the NEMBA logo burned into the entrance and exit? Oh, nice. Advocacy can seem abstract, you know. Uh, I envision interminable government meetings where not much, not very much happens. No decisions get made. Any kind of progress gets deferred to the next meeting, which is, you know, like next spring. <laughs> the people doing that work uh, mm-hmm. are saintly. Uh, but mm-hmm. as I said, that's a bit abstract. Sometimes it's hard to see the forward movement. Uh-huh. Historically, though, I've put my money in the groups doing that work because I know how hard it is. And I know it's it's the most effective use of dollars for priorities that I might not even be aware of. Right. So I can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can look at at the infrastructure uh, in my town or the surrounding towns or on the trails and I can see certain things. But um. You know, the the people who are thinking about urban planning and bartering with uh, city planners for 
real estate for bikes, those people are doing super important, super high level work. Um, yes. Mountain bike associations tend to do things you can see like trail building, trail maintenance, trail access work. It's worth investing in. And I'm sorry. I only just threw my money in the pot in some ways though. Uh, it seemed like a more selfish thing to do because, because those people are literally, uh, improving my everyday riding in a way that general advocacy work really addresses issues like equal access, safety, etc. that I'm in for, but don't quote use mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really. Um, Nemba felt for me a little bit like a movie in my Netflix list. I, I knew I wanted to watch it. I knew I'd enjoy it. I just didn't feel a sense of urgency about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Story of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the time would come, right? This is a yeah. dumb way to think about cycling advocacy. Uh, the time is now. The urgency is real. The benefits are tangible. It's my bad. Uh, the other thing I'll bring up is something that Steve says to me quite often, which is that you should volunteer for trail maintenance work with your local group. Uh, maybe you do two hours of trail work for every 50 hours of riding you do as a, as a, Uh as an exchange. And the point, and the point is that few of us put in nearly as much as we take out, right? Yeah. He always says yeah. if if we put in 2% of what we get out, the trails would be immaculate. There wouldn't be a piece of litter anywhere. Uh, you know, it's it's a we could create a utopia if we had that kind of uh We'd have run power. out of terrain that we were allowed to build trails in. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. I'll be looking for ways to pitch in with my hands this spring too. Awesome sauce. What's your take and what is your involvement in advocacy and trail work and all of that? Uh, yeah. He said putting Patrick on the spot. Uh, yeah, my my bona fides are are pretty solid. Um though I'll be honest and say that my membership in our our local advocacy group which used to be called Remba, and I can't remember what they've changed the name to now. That's the thing about changing names. It's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't absolve me from the fact that I need to renew that membership. Uh, I was a founding member of the Redwood Mountain uh, Redwood Empire Mountain Bike Association. And it's, like I said, now called something else. Um, and I certainly believe in what they do. And they are building trails and they make uh, occasions available in which we can join them for building trails. You don't even have to be a member to go out and put your shoulder into that effort. Uh, I haven't had the, uh, right circumstances of schedule to allow me to do any trail building with them in the last year. Uh, but as, uh, by virtue of my membership in the Gianni club, uh, out in West County, I I do my share of trail days. Uh, I generally get two in each year. They call it an eight hour day. It's more like a six hour day, really. Um, and they feed us lunch and it's just, it's a really awesome time with a bunch of really lovely people who've been generally, you know, a lot of these people are kind of OG mountain bikers who've been riding since the eighties. Uh, 
and you hear some delightful stories getting involved this way. And, you know, you begin to, to learn more about your local community. So I can advocate for it just in terms of friend making and community building. Um, and I am, uh, I'm also a, a big fan of that sense of ownership that comes when you've helped to cut 12 feet of trail, uh, it, you know, through a bench cut and whatever else and dragging a rogue hoe all across it and all that. Um, I, I've been amazed at my own sense of, of ownership of certain trails. Uh, that was maybe not so great when a logging company completely destroyed a trail that I'd helped work on. Um, the level of uh, generalized anger that I felt was mm, not healthy, uh, but I dealt with it. Um, and I'm going to deal with it more by helping to rebuild that trail or something nearby. Um I was also the first uh, uh, interim executive director of CAMTB, which was, which is uh, the first and only statewide mountain bike advocacy organization for California. The state's so big that it had regional efforts, which resulted in no one really doing any uh, any lobbying in Sacramento, uh, and now that is changing. Um, so I put my shoulder into the effort of helping to get that off the ground. My effort, let me be very clear, uh, while I'm proud to say was significant and helped get the operation on the map, there have been a lot of other people who put in uh, multiplicatives of, of the hours that I put in with that organization. Um, and uh, they continue to do some really terrific work. Uh, and I'm with you. There's, there's no good excuse for not being a member, uh, of one of these organizations. Uh, those of us who can actually afford to have a decent mountain bike can afford to contribute, uh, to the effort. Yes. I'm also a big fan of efforts that are maybe not as, um, <clears throat> I don't know, organized, uh, one of my hydration packs has three different saws in it, some clippers, uh, you know, a few other little doodads. Uh, so when I encounter a tree that's down, if I am able to address it, if I have the tools necessary to address that, I go ahead and jump in. And if that cuts my ride a half an hour shorter, it cuts my ride a half an hour shorter. Yeah, I I feel that like I, there are a lot of trails that I ride very regularly that I do feel a sense of ownership for. And I would, you know, uh, move trees. I would do things to, uh, you know, clean litter, things like that. You don't have to be on a trail day to, to benefit the trail system uh, if you're willing to do stuff. This is another thing, you know, Stevel. Uh, goes everywhere with a backpack and often has a, a trash bag with him. Um, mm. And I've, mm. I've seen him uh, when we're hanging out together sort of like casually gather a full trash bag. Um, so that's another thing uh, certainly people can do. It's, it's a... We've all ridden by uh, unacceptable piles of trash and shaken our heads, but how many of us have just gotten off the bike and cleaned it up. Yeah, I could definitely do more of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. There was yeah. a period where I I was in a particular patch of woods regularly and I it was a place that uh, kids would go and drink beer and break bottles and stuff and I would go there uh, with I had a little rake. Not quite a hand rake, but not quite uh-huh. a full-size rake, but I would go and rake up broken glass and try to clean that out. But um but I but I have not done enough. I have not done enough because I have gotten so much joy from <laughs> the hard work of other people for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I may advocate, I I would encourage you to be gentler on yourself. Don't say that you haven't done enough. Say that you've come to a realization that you can do more and you've chosen to do more. Yes. That's Celebrate where I'm it. at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have been working an awful lot on my own self-talk over the last couple of years. And so I've had some wonderful, shall we say, mentors who have pointed me in the direction of uh, learning more constructive ways for me to message myself. <clears throat> yeah. My my internal post-it notes are uh, much friendlier these days. Mine still suffer from <laughs> from some uh-huh. sort of uh, uh, I don't know. I'm with you. I I should I should be nicer to me. I'm not the worst. <laughs> I'm neither the best nor the worst. Yeah, yeah. All right. That that certainly scans. Yes. Uh all righty. Well, let's take a break for uh, a little self-promotion here in the middle, and we will be right back. Hi, it's John. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and that you find something you like to read regularly on the Cycling Independent. Increasingly, cycling media is either dominated by clickbait, listicles, banner ads, and cross-marketing campaigns, or it's out of business. We're trying to buck that trend by being a reader and listener-supported site. That's where we gain our independence from a model that's just not working very well. So if you can, please consider our $3 subscription. It's a cup of coffee. It's a beer. It's an amount you can part with. There are $5 and $10 subscriptions, too. If you're more enthusiastic about what we do or more financially secure, have a look at those. But $3 takes us an awfully long way. The point is, we need your support to keep doing what we do. Thanks for considering it. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? So, Sunday, uh, I actually bumped into friends of mine out on a ride. I'd started alone, but uh, encountered them toward the end of my ride. And I got to talking with a buddy uh, about earbuds, you know, and inevitably our conversation steered around to other aspects of etiquette and how to be polite, not just to other riders, but pedestrians, drivers, literally anyone we encounter while we are riding a bicycle. And then, as I am wont to do, I brought up a conundrum, uh, or is it conundrum? What's the singular? I okay. I'll conundrum. Keep Conund- okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've never known how to resolve. Uh, boys and girls, this week I come with a question, not a solution. Um, yeah, John, how do you acknowledge people you pass? That is anyone who is facing in the same direction as you. 
passing riders going the other way, I always wave, even when it's someone who won't acknowledge me in the slightest. Um, but I've never been sure what the most polite thing to do is. So what is it you do? Oh, uh, when I go by someone in the same direction as me, I make a motorcycle sound and say, ha ha. No, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> you had me going there for a second. Yeah, no, 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 I don't do that. I did ride with a guy who used to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. and I don't ride with that guy anymore. Anyway, uh, when I pass someone, I generally, I put a hand up as if to say, hi, it's sort of a, a cross of hi and thanks. Uh -huh. But I think mostly it's just like an acknowledgement that I see you. Mm -hmm. We're both here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm not trying to bust their groove or, or chit chat with them, but just to acknowledge and say hello with a hand mm -hmm. signal. That's that is my approach. If they turn and look at me, I'll say good morning. I often say that also when it's the afternoon. Uh -huh. uh, but that is generally what I do. And then people coming my way, I tend to give them, a, you know, like a nod uh -huh. or a wave. Mm -hmm. But I don't usually say anything and I don't get too bothered by people who don't reciprocate anymore. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what problems they have in their life. Well, it's a waste of your energy, right? It is. That's what I realized for myself. It's like, why are you devoting energy to being upset to something that didn't actually happen to you? It was a lack of something that you wanted. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I guess my, my yeah, I'm maybe I'm not completely over it because generally my feeling is like, look, we're all out, like, this is nice. We're out here. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't know what the most polite thing to do is. Yeah. So here's one example of an option. Um, a former teammate of mine, who's still a good friend, uh, would hold his hand down and give the peace sign. In holding his hand down, the peace sign was upside down, but his hand was pointed in the other person's direction, as you would do if you were facing said person. Mm. My personal solution has always been to wave. That said, I'll turn ever so slightly toward the person, but I won't twist all the way around to face backward and make sure they can see my open palm. That is more of an effort than I make. So when I wave from behind me, it looks like I'm waving to someone ahead of me who is mm, invisible. Uh, and I admit <laughs> there are times when I don't even turn a little bit toward the person. Uh, hello, fatigue. I've had other writers, uh, sorts who feel the need to manage the behavior of others, tell me that what I'm doing is rude by showing people the back of my hand. Uh, I expect that they are upset that I'm discussing my behavior publicly right now, um, which is to say I'm not letting that d deter or sway or otherwise direct my future solutions. But, you know, I could point my hand down so that they see my palm when I wave, but I'm not sure what sort of connotation that carries. Um, and so I, I literally, I mean, I am the sort of person who literally wonders, is that better or worse than my backward wave? Uh, 
what is a compulsively polite person to do, John? I'm not compulsively polite, so I can't give you that answer. Uh, I'm not compulsively impolite either, though. I mean, when you were telling uh, me that just now that someone thinks it's rude to show the back of their hand, uh, I became... uh, uh, Profanity bubbled to the top of my throat, (laughs) which I didn't let out because... This is a family show. Yeah, it's like uh, there are folks who really are mining for offense. Mm -hmm. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, I'm showing like in in Italy uh, and in many other countries, you wave you wave this you wave with your hand backwards. So it's Uh beckoning the person back Mm -hmm. instead of waving them away. Um, so that's not rude. There are cultures where showing the bottom of your foot is offensive. I just, I'm like, look, (laughs) I think what you're doing is great. I think what you're doing is great. I think at least 50% of the people out there expect, expect and desire nothing. Probably. Um, there are some who in waving it all will think, Oh, he's mocking me because he's faster than I am. He's going by me. You know, I I just I think my my advice would be do do what you think uh feels good for you. Uh and they can either uh infer your goodwill or not, and that has very little to do with you. Yeah, I that I know is that's all not true. satisfying. Well, I mean, I, you know, here's the thing, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and speaking of my bona fides, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, um, it wasn't that many weeks ago that I was in line at the grocery store and the woman ahead of me had a full cart of stuff and I had like two things in my hands. And so she told me to go ahead and I, I said, no, no, you were here first. Um, I'm, you know. I'm not going to do that. And she was like, no, no, seriously. I was like, no, my parents raised me to be a gentleman. And I, you know, this is what I feel compelled to do. And I stuck with that until it was awkward. And I was like, just no, no, I want you to go ahead. Um, I was, I was more than happy to offer that little bit of politeness, but man, I managed to make that weird. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what is wrong with me? (laughs) Well, you're weird. That's, but oh, that's right. We did settle that previously. Yeah, that's OK. Um, yeah. I mean, in that situation, she's she has offered you a kindness and, and then insisted on it. I think just it's this is that one is a little bit like learning to take a compliment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I at least learned a procedure for that, uh, which is to say thank you and move uh-huh. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I you would don't say, say I didn't play well tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Don't say that. No. So at the grocery store, you say, you know what? That's really nice of you. Thanks. I'll I'll work on that one. Generally speaking, what you should say to everybody is that's really nice of you. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's part of my problem is that I didn't, you know, in the hierarchy of polite responses, I kept it confined you know, to one itty bitty little silo down low. And really it should be 
perhaps one of my leading responses in in most interactions. Yeah. Yep. That's really nice of you. Thanks. Um, uh, as for on the bike gestures, uh, I just don't. And I, I mean, I attribute a lot of this to New England where I ride, where a lot of people won't make eye contact with you. Won't, mm-hmm. There's no sort of like you're a cyclist. I'm a cyclist. You're a bike rider. I'm a biker. There's not a lot of there. I shouldn't say there's not a lot because there are plenty of people who are cheerful enough and wave and do whatever. But there are plenty who are very busy and very serious and <laughs> not yeah. to be trifled with. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's sort of like I just do what I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, one, like I, I run quite a bit with my friend Megna and I say hello. I actually say hello when I'm running mm-hmm. uh, because you're you tend to be passing more slowly. Uh-huh. And she thinks it's hilarious because um so many people don't don't reply, but I just keep saying it. Uh, and I'm not trying to be passive aggressive. I just decided at some point that I'm happy with hello. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, I because I don't want to get into the AM PM thing. I my practice is just to say howdy. Uh-huh. Also, I grew up in the South. And so that uh, that that betrays my uh, inner redneck. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is, you know, I mean, comedy is often the way I like to go. If I can if I can find absurdity in a situation and make people laugh, that's right where I'm headed. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I think you can't you sort of can't fail with friendly. Um as a chronic depressive, I can understand the other side of the coin where you just want to be left alone. Please don't acknowledge me. <laughs> Please don't. You know what? I get I get like everyone is in a different place and everyone yeah. is in a different place depending on the day. So it that's all whatever. But I, I try to lead. I try to lead with friendly. I like. Yeah, I like that. I still don't know which way to wave to people, though. Just the way you've been doing it. Because in your heart, it's a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, as a as a as an also compulsive reviser of copy, um, you know, I there are a lot of times things aren't finished with me. So in addition to uh, later on in the show where we ask our listeners to actually sign on as subscribers, uh, I am also soliciting them this week to drop by and post a comment. What do you do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In New England, uh, next time you're here, I could recommend, especially on a bike path where you might be Mm -hmm. passing all sorts of different path users, um, Mm -hmm. a casual how's your mother or, hey, so, say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> Something like that would be good. I will, um, I will, uh, it, it will be in my mind. I'm not quite sure where I, if I know where to describe where it will be, but it will be in my mind. You know, actually, if you're in other areas of the country and you do it, that would be funny for me also. <laughs> I, I, w- I will show you my bruises afterward. Sure. Sure. 
I mean, you know, the one of the beauties of California is we attract a little bit of everybody. Yeah. And so I could get any possible response. If there's a response out there to saying that to someone, yeah. I have the opportunity to find what that response is here in California. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I believe that. Yes. All righty. Let's move on to Paceline Picks. All right. Uh, this week, I'm picking the Gore C3 Infinium Gore-Tex Stretch Mid Glove. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I we almost don't have time for the, to tell you anything about it because the name of it is so long. <laughs> uh, there's a review of this glove up on the site this week. So if you want to read that instead of listening to me, uh, I get that. There's there's actually more <laughs> info in the written review. Um, but here's the skinny on this glove. Uh, the grip is fantastic. Uh, so this is a, a, a thin set of gloves. Um, perfect wind blocking, as you would expect from, from Gore. Uh, mm-hmm. The gloves have a micro suede palm with some small gripper beads at the base of the fingers and some bits of gel padding in the palm itself. Somehow it's a fairly minimal design, but somehow they've nailed the ergonomics of grip. So the, so they, they, when you're on the bars, they're just no, like with a, some gloves, you get a little shimmy, a little movement, a little this, a little oh, that. Sure. These are these are rock solid. I really like them. Uh, the glove feels supple and comfortable, too. Uh, they've got micro fleece on the inside uh, and across the back of your hand that adds warmth and comfort. Um, mm-hmm. Another big success is the tactile pad on the index and thumb tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually work. Yes. Um, I've had a lot of gloves that claim to have solved this tactility issue, <laughs> but this is the first pair that's actually done it for me. I actually spent some time like fake texting and doing things for a while, uh, because I was like, well, they'll work at first, but then they'll stop. But no, they're really good. Um, yeah. The effective temperature range for these gloves is probably 40 degrees Fahrenheit up to, for me, 50, maybe for you, 60. Um, I could even imagine wearing them under a larger pair of winter gloves for maximal Mm -hmm. warmth in deep winter because they are definitely thin enough. They're very impressive for how little glove there is and yet how warm and effective they are. The uh, Gore-Tex C3, Gore-Tex Infinium mid, oh, stretch mid gloves come in four color combinations. Neon yellow and black, black and black, red and black, and fireball and black. I got the ones in fireball. Uh, which is, looks is like that, is that brown like whiskey? No, it's orange like I handle nuclear waste. Oh, oh, yeah. It's like a. It's more like a traffic cone orange color. Dark oh. traffic cone, I'd call it. Um, <laughs> they retail for sixty bucks, which is quite a bit uh, for. Uh, um, what I would call a mid glove. Uh, but at the time of writing, at the time of speaking here, they are on sale for 30 bucks, which mm. is an astounding deal. And you should get on that ASAP. 
Yeah, any good quality glove for 30 bucks, fingerless or not, yeah, that's a buy. It's a go. I Yeah. I got these from Gore specifically for review, so I have not paid for them. But if having worn them and used them, if someone said you could get a pair for 30 bucks, I would I would not pass go or I would go immediately to jail. I don't know. The metaphor is broken down here, but I would get the gloves. Well, upon collecting $200, you'd have 30 bucks to spend on a pair of gloves. That's a great point. I would have rent for Baltic Place uh, and also a new pair of gloves. There you go. God, I have remember. a predecessor to those, uh, and I'm not going to try to repeat the name, um, but I, yeah, I have a predecessor to them, a very slightly different design, and I like them a lot. Uh, one thing I've noticed sometimes with insulated gloves is that when they grip the bar well, uh, if there's a fair amount of insulation inside the glove, my hand still moves. Because yeah. the interface between the insulation and the glove and my hand, the insulation is um, movie. It, 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 you know, I slide around in there. <laughs> yeah. Movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 New adjective. You heard it here first. Yep. Um, I wonder what Strunk and White would have to say about that. <sighs> Bad Patrick. Aren't they uh, both dead? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they had attitudes. Details. We, we could. Yeah. 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 Moving right along. So my pick, uh, we've got more wet weather on the way this coming weekend. So uh, I anticipate that when I am out riding, I will be on my new number 22 with fenders. Uh, And while fenders are really great, they don't eliminate all of the wet and spray. So my pick this week is our... uh, I'm having lots of word trouble today. Uh, the Sportful Fiandre Warmers. Uh, I'm thinking most specifically of their knee warmers, but Sportful Sportful's Fiandre Warmers include arm warmers, leg warmers, and knee warmers. You've got choices. Uh, what sets these warmers apart from most, though not all other warmers, is the fact that the fabric receives Sportful's no train, no rain treatment. Um, this is uh, more than just a DWR coating that wears off. It's an actual treatment to the fabric that is claimed to be permanent. And I now have enough experience with it that I can say that in three years of, you know, fall, winter and spring use, it has not worn off. Um, and a DWR will not last three years. Mm. Uh, I can, I can say that as well. Um, <clears throat> the Fiandre knee warmers are constructed from a classic Roubaix Lycra feature, a single seam, um, a reflective logo in the front, as well as a reflective element, um, in back plus grippers to hold them in place. Uh, and the top one is a double gripper, both inside and outside. So it helps keep oh, yeah. your, uh, keep them in place relative to your bib shorts, uh, or other shorts. If you actually your shorts have hips and your warmers. Sorry. I'm yeah. still stuck in Boston yeah. accent. That's, that's workable. I, I, we can roll with that. Put um, your shorts and warmers on. We'll go for a ride. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of $60, these go for $60, which is not inexpensive, as warmers go, but 
I common, commonly see stuff for 40, 45. Uh, but when I watch water beat up on them and then run off, leaving my knees dry, I am apt to cry out, take my money. Uh, I have rain jackets for my upper body, but still prefer knee or leg warmers to tights or rain pants. Uh, and these allow for a certain amount of spray with no discomfort. So I'm a fan. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I like that you're out uh, uh, cultivating muscular discomfort, but refusing topical discomfort. One discomfort at a time. You know, I don't want to be greedy. That seems reasonable. You know, I, I like I said, compulsively polite. Yeah. I, I don't want to hog all the discomfort. Sure. <laughs> There's plenty of discomfort to go around, everybody. Have a slice. <laughs> yeah, some somebody is going to do something about me at some point. Um, I, I don't know who or what, but I'm sure the effort is being sharpened as we speak. <laughs> Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Uh, are you, are you, you're still fully in ski mode at this point? I'm not fully in any mode. I'm trying to stay oh. in all the modes. Uh, okay. I try to stay in all the modes all the time as long as my body will allow. And sometimes when I injure one part of me, uh, th- another sport will not use that part, so I'll do that. But uh, I, it is going to be frigidly awfully cold this weekend so i may even ride the trainer uh which i am not want to do but it's going to be that kind of cold i will not be skiing i skied the other day when it was three degrees and windy um and that felt fine there was sun uh it was i said to my wife this is the warmest three degrees i've ever felt um but it's going to be much colder than that this weekend. So I'm probably going to be pedaling inside while listening to very loud music. That's my plan. Mm. What do you got? All right. Uh, I'm going to go pedal around in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we get lucky and the rain holds off uh, Saturday morning, there will be uh, a ride of my son's NICA team, the A team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really holding out hope that we can do that. But I know that if the wet stuff is actively falling out of the sky at nine o'clock in the morning, yeah, I am not going to pull my son out there yet. Yeah. His, his love of cycling is considerable, but it is not to that level of dedication. Did he incur a cycling related injury recently? No, that was my younger son uh, ah. whose feet got tangled in a blanket and he went over like the, uh, the giant and Jack and the beanstalk. Oh, uh, and uh, his eyebrow came down on uh, the edge of a coffee table. Oh, classic. And uh, yeah, uh, I was I was in the bathroom kind of on the other side of our place and I heard a noise uh, sufficiently loud that I pulled my pants back up before doing what I needed to do and <laughs> ran out. Uh, and um, uh, once I was able to pull his hand away from his face, um, I noticed that that whole side of his face was red. So I said, okay, uh, we're going to the hospital. Um, and uh, to their credit, you know, I know, I know that Kaiser gets a bad rap an awful lot of times. We were in and out of there on a Friday night in less than 90 minutes. Oh yeah. The drunk tank yeah. victims hadn't shown up yet. 
Well, it, it was maybe a little early, but I mean, there were a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess the people there, you know, just had not, they weren't drunk, drunk tank injured. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so. I'm very sorry to hear that. You should get him out on a mountain bike where he'll be safer. and with that if you haven't already checked out our other podcasts please check out revolting which lives up to its name in some ways but is very entertaining um and uh again i will tout our coming very shortly new podcast the long way home uh it'll feature work written by folks like John and me, the author. Um, and it's, I still, yeah, my best metaphor is more audible than fresh air. All right. Yeah. Uh, maybe consider leaving us a review wherever it is you found us. It does make us more likely to be found by other people and constructive criticism is always accepted. And we don't seem to be able to do anything about other criticism. So bring it. Um, (laughs) until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thank you for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>